stranger to the pulpit, Brother Ezekiel Dean. I've gotten to know him at Presbytery and obviously in church here. Indeed, an honorable man. We are truly blessed to have uh, such a gentleman as this to, in our Presbytery and to help us fill our pulpit. Pastor? Thank you. It's funny that Chris should say that. Uh, as you turn into Psalm 68, I just want you to know uh, one of the great revivalists of uh, the great revival said, uh, I love a man who thunders out the word. And uh, Chris sustained his licensure this week at Presbytery. He's an excellent preacher, and so y'all should be proud of him, and we praise God that he's joined our midst as a preaching elder in the church as well. Uh, Psalm 68. Psalm 68 is our text. We'll read together 1 through verses 18. 1 through verses 18, Psalm 68, 1 through 18. This is the word of God. God shall arise, his enemies shall be scattered, and those who hate him shall flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so you shall drive them away. As wax melts before fire, so the wicked shall perish before God. But the righteous shall be glad. They shall exalt before God. They shall be jubilant with joy. Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exalt before him. Father of the fatherless and protector of the widow is God in his holy habitation. God scatters, uh, settles the solitary in the home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. O oh God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, the earth quaked, the heavens poured down rain before the God, the God, the one of Sinai, before God, the God of Israel. Rain in abundance, O oh God, you shed abroad. You restored your inheritance as it languished, your flock found a dwelling in it. In your goodness, O oh God, you provide it for the needy. The Lord gives the word. The women who announced the news are a great host. The kings of the armies, they flee. They flee. The women at home divide the spoil. Through you men, though you men lie among the sheepfold, the wing of a dove covered with silver, its pines with shimmering gold. When the Almighty scatters kings there, let snow fall on Zalman. O mountain of God, mountain of Bashan, O many peaked mountains, mountains of Bashan, why do you look with hatred, O many peaked mountain, at the mount that God desire for his abode? Yes, where the Lord will dwell forever. The chariots of God are twice ten thousand, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them. Sinai is now in the sanctuary. You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train, and received gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray together. Gracious God and our loving Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the privilege we have 
certainly to come in your midst. Lord, we come because you have sanctified today a day of worship for your great name. But you have sanctified this day because we need a day of rest to imitate you after you've created the whole world. In six days, you rested on the seventh day. And so, Lord, you've exhorted us to come, to come and leave out our worldly endeavors and to come and spend time in your presence communing with you a whole day set apart to worship and rejoice and rest in our God. Lord, as we come, we come to hear you speak to us. And so we ask, Lord, that you would speak because your servants are listening. You have said in your word that we should draw near to you and that you would draw near to us, and so we are drawing near to you. We pray, Lord, that you would cleanse our hearts from sin, sanctify us so that we are vessels, instruments fit for our master's use. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Our text this morning is a text of comfort, a text of, of joy and rejoicing because of who our God is. We live in a culture that highlights and revel in superheroes. Uh, we have the fight between those who are DC people and those who are Marvel people. And we have all of these plethora of superhero movies that have come through uh, throughout the years. Many of us have heroes, whether they're biblical heroes or whether they're heroes from history. The Greeks had their heroes, the Achilles and the Hercules and the Hectors and etc. Some of us have heroes that are in the Bible, men of old, men of renown. Why do people's hearts crave for heroes? And one of the reasons that people's hearts crave for heroes is because of injustice in our world. Now, who would be strong enough? Who would have the audacity? Who would have the might, the power to go out and make the things that are wrong right? Who among us have the ability to make what's wrong right, to make what's crooked straight? The scripture gives us not one like us in our God Jehovah in the Old Testament in the book of Psalms. This psalm has direct correlation uh, to the New Testament passage, that of Ephesians chapter 4. You will see a reference to it in verses 18. God, through Jesus Christ, ascended and left gifts among men. But the psalmist starts with an exhortation, with a, a cry to God, a prayer. And what we're going to find throughout this passage is this constant theme of a prayer for God to come and demonstrate his power among his people. That he would be a God who protects his people, but not only that, but he would be a God whose presence is with his people. What we look for in men, what we imagine in superheroes, we have in the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, God of hosts. 
So we come to a psalm that exhorts God, that calls upon God to demonstrate his power. When we look at our world today and we neglect to see that our God is a God of great power, we should read the word of God. When we look at our world today and we feel as though we are insecure, when we're unprotected, we should look to the word to see our God because he is the protector. When we feel lonesome and we feel as though we are stricken and smitten of God, even as the Lord Jesus Christ was, our prayers are not being answered, we should look to see the promises of God that he is with us, even to the ends of the age. And so this psalm was written by none other than the sweet psalmist, David, at a time in his life when he himself had gotten to a peak in his career as a king. He had conquered his enemy. He has taken over Jerusalem. But one thing that was missing in his city, the city of God, the city of David, was the sanctuary. The tabernacle was missing out of the sanctuary. And so David had sent for the tabernacle, and as the tabernacle was being processed, was being brought to the city as it was making its way to the sanctuary, the scripture tells us that David danced before the Lord. David was celebrating because this tabernacle symbolized the presence of God in the midst of his people. And so what the psalm does is the psalm evokes an image from the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 16 and verses 35. But this image is not only in the book of Numbers, this image is also in the book of Exodus. When the children of Israel had been delivered from captivity, God had promised his presence to be with them. And his presence would powerfully represent itself in a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. And what would happen before that pillar would get up to lead the people of Israel through the wilderness, the leader, Moses, would invoke these same words that we have in Psalm 68. But only he would say, when you read in Exodus, let God arise and let his enemies be scattered and those who hate him shall flee before him. And then when that pillar would sit among God's people, he would invoke a similar word to the extent that God is now at rest in the presence and he's now among his people. This no doubt would bring the people to a place of security and calmness. It would alleviate all their fears because their God was in their midst. And so here, David, as the tabernacle processes through the city of David, this man of God who has been known to us as the one after God's own heart, the sweet psalmist, one of Israel's greatest king, did not see himself as the one who was all-powerful. He did not see himself as the protector of Israel, but yet he is invoking the great God and king of the people of Israel as the God who is 
the protector of his people. All of the victory and all of the success that David had won was because of the mighty power of God. That's why David could say, God shall arise. His enemies shall be scattered, and those who hate him shall flee before him. David is evoking historical reality. God is in the midst of his people. He powerfully is at work to drive out his enemies and ours. Do we know that those who would come up against us and who would hate us because of who we are as Christians and who would seek to oppose us and put us down and break us and destroy us, they're setting themselves up as enemies of God? Because when we are his children, when we are the sheep of his pasture, when we are his people, our enemies are his enemies. And our God is mighty to save. Do you find comfort in this reality? That your God, the one you serve, the God who has called you by name, the God who has numbered all the hair on your head, the God who knew you before you were born, who elected you before the foundation of the world, who predestined you to be his son, who has raised you up in spiritual places in Jesus Christ. This God is powerful to overcome any enemy and any opposition that you face today in your life. Do you believe that? And if you have overcome any opposition and if any of your enemies have been destroyed and crushed, it's because your God has been powerful enough to crush them under his feet. Look at the image that David used in the psalm to talk about how God drives out his enemies, how his power is in effect among those who would oppose him and oppose his children. He said, as smoke is driven away, so you shall drive them away. Imagine smoke. Those of you who have put together a bonfire understand that it smokes. And all it takes is just to blow some air against the smoke and it'll change direction. What David is aiming at here is that God's enemy they're like smoke. They're not powerful. They might think that they have energy. They might think they have might. They might think they have power. But they can be easily dispatched like smoke. God would just blow them away and send them routing. Again, he says, as wax melts before fire, so the wicked shall perish before God. Imagine that image wax, you have a candle, and all you have to do is throw it in the fire. And what happens? It melts away. God is powerful against his enemies that they're like wax in the face of fire. When God pushes against them, they melt away. What does that say about our great God? What does that say about his might? What does that say about his power? 
question that he asks is, is anything too hard for me? As you think about your own life, you think about the difficulties that you have. If God is so powerful against his enemies to blow them away and rout his enemies like smoke and to melt them like wax and to ask the question, is there anything that is too hard for me? What is it that you're experiencing? What are you going through that you cannot submit to this powerful God? What do you think is too hard for God? The scripture says, we have not because we ask not. And oftentimes when we ask, we ask to consume upon our sinful lust. And that's some of the reasons why he doesn't give us. But James tells us that every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of life with whom there's no variations or shadow of turning. God gives liberally, and he gives to his children. Consider his protection. Not only is he powerful, but he also protects. Consider verses 3. It says, but the righteous shall be glad. Why? They shall exalt before God. They shall be jubilant with joy. Those of us who are righteous have no fear, nothing to worry. We should be glad. No wonder the scripture tells us in the New Testament all over the place, rejoice, be glad. Great is your God, greatly to be praised in the sanctuary of his angels. We, as those who are righteous, should be jubilant. Verses 4 says we should sing to God, sing praises to his name. No doubt David and the, the hosts that are bringing this tabernacle to Jerusalem as they're making their way to the temple, they're singing. The scripture says David is even dancing. He's rejoicing because the presence of God has been brought back to the city of God. Sing, lift up the song to him who rides through the desert. Because his name is the Lord. Exalt before him. That name all caps in verses 4. Most of us understand that whenever we see those caps, it is a reference to God as Jehovah, Yahweh, the the three-letter words. God, the one who is boundless, without beginning or end. God, the one who created out of nothing. God, who is who he is when he appeared to Moses in the desert. And Moses says, who shall I say sent me? Imagine Moses is not going to a local chieftain. The equivalent of Pharaoh today would be the equivalent of Moses going to the president of the United States. Who gives you authority to come before me? And Moses says, I am. The God who is the king of the ages, the king of the kings, the Lord of all the lords, the one who is the maker of everything, he sent me. And so you owe him a hearing. And you cannot easily dismiss him. And the Egyptians and Pharaoh had to learn the hard way because they could not stand. They could not stay the hand of Almighty God. But here again, why do we rejoice? Because in verses 5, the psalmist tells us that God is a God who protects. He's a father 
of the fatherless, protector of the widow, is God in his holy habitation. Imagine, in our culture, in our world, where there are many people who are vulnerable. The example that the psalmist gave us are those who are fatherless. What does it mean for a child, for a home, to be without a father? In that time and place, the family would be very vulnerable to anyone. Financial crisis and and people who would come to try to take advantage of the mother and try to enslave the children, etc., vulnerable. But the scripture tells us that God is the father of those who are vulnerable. When we look around us, we live in a world where there are lots of vulnerable people. We have a crisis in our country of people who are homeless, a crisis of people who are fatherless, a crisis of people who are widowed, and they too are vulnerable. We don't need a superhero to come and make right the wrongs in our culture. We have a God who is the creator and sustainer of all, who has promised in his word to be the father to the fatherless, to be the one who protects the widows. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity. God is the one who does this. He visits those who are in solitary places, those who have been in prisons, those who have been mistreated, those who are being crushed. By injustice, he leads them to prosperity. And in contrast to that, God says, but the rebellious dwells in a parched land. The parched land there is an image of a place of hunger, a place of neediness, a place of want. God will put those who have been the cause of evil and wrong in a place where they will be needy and they would be oppressed. And it talks more about God's exploit, a demonstration of God's power. This is a theme throughout this psalm. God's power on display, God's protection of his people, God's presence with his people. Another demonstration of God's power. The earth quakes. The heaven poured down rain before God, the one of Sinai, before God, the God of Israel. Rain in abundance. This is another kind of provision. God provides rain. Those of us those of you, rather, I, didn't, I don't farm anymore, <laughs> but those of you who rely on land, who rely on, 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 on the fertility of the land, rely on the rain. And whenever it doesn't rain, the best place to look and the best way to, to, to seek out for rain is not to come up with some kind of innovation. The best way to procure rain is to cry out to God to cry out to God. Remember, these people live in a parched land. They live in desert. They live in most uh, parts of the land where they depend on the provision of the rain. And David is saying, God is the one who provides. And God provides the rain in abundance. And he, in verses, nine, in verses 9, rain in abundance, O God, you shed abroad. You give it to everybody liberally. You restore your inheritance as it languages. God is the one who is restoring. He is the one who is providing rain, sunshine. And David is giving thanks, praising him for this, demonstrating his power, providing protection for his people, 
These are all causes for us to praise God. Not too long ago, we, we sang together, praise God from whom all blessings flow. What do we mean when we say all blessings? So often we think that all blessings is just financial. But the air we breathe is a commodity that God provides. The light to see is a commodity that God provides. The ability to think, to have sound minds is a commodity that God provides. The ability to have bodies that functions properly. These are all things that God provides and he provides in abundance. And so we ought to give him praise. We ought to give him thanks. We ought to exalt his name because he provides these things in abundance for his people. Your flock found a dwelling place. In your goodness, O God, you provided for the needy. God is still providing. The Lord gives the word. The women who announce the news are great hosts. In verses 11, this is an allusion to God's victory in Exodus. Miriam and the women of Israel are singing the praises of God as he goes out before them and routs the enemy. Even in the, uh, the book of 1 Samuel, as David and, and Saul comes back after the exploits, the women are singing in praise of God's destruction of his enemies. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousand. The women, David tells us, they are singing praises to God even as he has demonstrated his power. And then in verses 12, the psalmist tells us that the kings of the armies, this is their song, this is the theme of their song, they flee. The kings of the armies run before God like smoke, they're being blown away, like wax, they're being melted. The women at home divide the spoil. Though you men lie among the sheepfold, the wings of a dove covered with silver, its pines with shimmering gold, God provides plenty again for his people. When the Almighty scatters the kings there, let snow fall on Zalman, another image there of God's exploit as he destroys the carcasses of his enemies or littering the mountains. And it looks as though snow has fallen. O mountain of God, mountain of Bashan, O many peaked mountain, mountains of Bashan, why do you look with hatred, O many peaked mountains, at the mount that God desired for his abode? Yes, where the Lord will dwell forever. This is an image here, again, going further now into God's protection. We've seen God's power in routing his enemies. We've seen God's provision in providing for those who are his children, those who are weak, and those who are vulnerable, and those who are needy. But now we see God's presence, God's choice of his presence. God had chosen Mount Zion. He'd chosen Jerusalem to be associated with his presence. And the question is, what is Zion? What is Jerusalem? This is, this is a small mountain. You know, compared to all the great mountains that are in this part of the world, why would God want to, to associate himself with this little thing? Why would God want to choose to associate himself with something that is weak and meager? The practice of the gods associating themselves with the hills and the high places and the mountains is is an, ancient, is an ancient practice. People went up to the mountains to, to worship and make sacrifices to God, but God had chosen to associate himself with Mount Zion in Jerusalem. And the complaint or the question is, why? Why should this, this little place, this is insignificant. And the same question is asked today. Why should God choose to 
associate himself with, with us, the church, you know, seemed like such an insignificant institution. You know, we don't make laws. We don't carry out legislations. We're not a powerful lot. We don't have soldiers and armies. We don't have the ability to make people do anything. <clears throat> but yet the scripture says God is with us. God dwell among us. And God is deemed to make his presence known here. Why isn't God in D.C.? Where the power is. Why isn't he in, 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 in Buckingham Palace where the king and, and those who have a, a great uh, nobility live? Why is he in the church? Why is he in the, the hamlet, the, the small places where, where country folk and, and those of us who come with, with, with no history, no pedig uh, pedigree, none of us have any things that we, we can be desired of, and God is choosing to associate himself with us. Those who are weak, those who are lowly, God chooses to associate with us. And Paul told some of the New Testament churches, he said, God didn't call many of you who were of noble birth. God didn't call many of you who were mighty. God chose the weak and the simple. And he says, this is to confound those who are mighty and those who are wise. They'll look down their nose at us and say, who are you? What do you have? Y'all don't have anything in there. There's no power in the church. But yet, the scripture tells us that God is in the midst of us. It's his choice. Verses 17, the chariots of God are twice ten thousands. Thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them. This is the great and mighty God. In contrast to us, our God rides in the chariots. This is an, this is an image of, of a horde, a military horde. Chariots upon chariots stacked up against the Egyptians, stacked up against the Assyrians, stacked up against the Babylonians. God hoard, God's army is matchless. No wonder Jesus could say, I, I could have called upon 10,000 angels. He didn't. Because it was fitting that God would crush his son so that we would be saved through him. A God who is the God of ten thousands and thousands and myriads of angels, the scripture says the Lord is among them. Sinai, Jerusalem, the church, is his sanctuary. This is where he presides. This is where his presence, in a special way, is meted out to his people. And then in verses 18, we close with that verse, tells us that, you ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train, receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, the Lord God, that the Lord God may dwell there. The Apostle Paul gives us an allusion to this passage in Ephesians chapter 4. He ascends on high, he led captivity captive, he gave gifts to men. And, but what Paul was talking about here is that God is so powerfully present among his people that what he's doing is he's going out and he's plundering our enemies and he's making exploits of them and he's giving them as spoils to us. What does that mean? 
Look at the Apostle Paul himself, a testimony to this fact. Paul was an enemy of God. He murdered Christians. He was there at the stoning of Stephen. And yet, the scripture tells us that God said, this man, this Saul, I have selected him for myself. Saul would not go down in history as an enemy of God, but a chosen vessel, one who had been plucked out of captivity, one that God had rescued from death, an enemy. When he was struck on the road to Damascus, he said, Who are you, Jesus? Who are you, Lord? And the voice said, I'm Jesus. And gave them instructions. From today, you're going to be persecuted for me. When Saul went into the city to meet Ananias so that he could see and receive his vision, Ananias says, no, Lord, this, this, this man is an enemy. We, we, we can't associate with him. God said, no, no, no longer. He, he's now one of mine. He's my chosen vessel. He's going to fulfill my purposes. And so we look out among us and we see the enemies of God and they're loud and they're rambunctious, they're, they're out and they're seething out the mouth and they're hateful and they're, they're vengeful and they're coming at us and, and God in his power can and in instances will rescue rebels and sinful people. And where once there were hate, haters and enemies of God, he would turn them into those who have been captives, who have been brought inside his church and given to the church's gifts. That's why you have men in the church who would say, you know, I used to be X. I was an enemy of God, and, and God rescued me and saved me, and now I'm preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. Because that's what God has given to me. Paul tells us that the gifts that God has given to his church, apostles, prophets, teachers, preachers, the sanctification, the edifying of the saints, so that the work of God may be completed in this world. And so God is the one who conquers his enemies and brings them into his presence and gives them as gifts, plunder to his people. What a great God we serve. What an awesome God we serve. A God who is without match in his power. A God who is without limits in his protection. But a God who blesses his people with his presence, who conquers their enemies, and he gives them as captives to his church for the furtherings of his kingdom, the work of the ministry of the God. This is the God we serve. And the question that we should ask ourselves as we leave here today is do we know this God? Do we trust in his power? Do we know this God? Do we trust in his protection? Do we know this God? Do we live in his presence? Do we serve him? Here, O Israel, he said, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. This is the first, and this is the greatest commandment. And what a privilege we have to be sons of God, to live in his presence, and to serve him with gladness, to sing for joy. Let's pray that God will continue to give us the grace that we need to love him, to serve him with joy and gladness, to sing with jubilations, because he is in our midst. Let's pray together. 
Our great God and our loving Heavenly Father, we are, we're so thankful that you're a God who is in our midst. Lord, that when we leave and go about our business in our times of uncertainty, let us pray the words of the psalmist, God, arise and go before us in your power. God, arise and go before us and provide for us. God, help us to feel your presence when we are at rest. We pray, God, that you would give us the grace that we need, not only to understand, but to experience your power. Not only to know your presence and your provision, but to know them in a way that has changed us. And to rejoice that you have chosen to be identified with us. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God. We pray and ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.